Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for our Dimensions of Wellness podcast series, where we talk about the eight dimensions of wellness and how they can help lead to a balanced and empowered lifestyle. This is your host, Max Hyams, and I am a nephrology medical science liaison here at Otsuka Pharmaceuticals. In today's episode, we will be delving into the sixth dimension of wellness, the financial dimension. And our featured guest for this important conversation is none other than Dr. Deborah Hain. Dr. Hain, thank you for joining us. And before we start, we may have some new listeners that are unfamiliar with your work. So would you please do the honors and tell us a little bit about yourself and your path in the nephrology world? Hi, thank you very much, Matt. And I'm excited to talk about this topic. Uh, I have been in nephrology since 1985, where I began as a nephrology nurse in an outpatient dialysis center, and then eventually working for Cleveland Clinic, starting their acute dialysis program, Cleveland Clinic in Florida, and not Ohio, and began that program for them and had worked in different positions trying to uh, support their development in Florida. And then I worked, uh, I always continued to work as an outpatient dialysis nurse, even though I was doing the acutes at Cleveland Clinic. And then I went back to school and got my nurse practitioner degree as a gerontological NP and be, and they created a position for me. I worked for Cleveland Clinic and I eventually got my adult nurse practitioner as well. So I'm adult gerontological nurse practitioner. And I worked for Cleveland Clinic, well, about 20 something years in nephrology as a nurse practitioner, seeing people on dialysis as well as those in CKD clinic. And um, currently I am a faculty, a full professor tenured at Florida Atlantic University, Christine Elin College of Nursing in Boca Raton. And I am... Uh, also, just fin- about a year and a half ago, finished my psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner, and so I'm board certified in that area. And so I have done, I'm working, trying to develop a practice that will focus not only on individuals with mental health, but those particularly with kidney disease. And then I am continue. I am very actively involved in the community, kidney community with American Nephrology Nurses Association and uh, American Society of Nephrology and National Kidney Foundation. In addition, I'm currently a board member of the uh, Medical Advisory Board for uh, the Forum of Networks. So I'm very excited about that. This year, this is my first, this last uh, month was my first board meeting and great things, really a focus on those and, and receiving dialysis and transplant and really trying to focus on the wellness. So this is a very important topic here with the financial wellness as being important, as you said, for for the optimal health of our population and for ourselves. Yeah, no, that's an awesome background. Thank you. And no pun intended, but I think your your wealth of knowledge on this subject and experience is going to give us a really great podcast. So let's just get right into the nitty gritty of how you define financial wellness. And then what are some strategies that you utilize to help improve financial wellness in daily life? Okay, so financial wellness, it's also known as well-being. Um, It's having control over your day-to-day, your month-to-month finances. It's having that capacity to deal with emergency or major life events, such as a health status change or loss of employment. It also is having that freedom to make the choices that allow you to enjoy life, buying things that you want, traveling if you want. The U.S. Consumer Finance defines financial wellness as a feeling of having financial security, and financial freedom for making choices in the present and when considering the future. 
There are four elements of financial well-being or wellness. You just spend, save, borrow, and plan. And we'll talk more about that later. It's very important that we consider all four as we want we try to achieve financial wellness. It's really feeling in control of your your finances and it's such in knowing that you you're you can pay your bills, you can manage your expenses and you don't worry about having enough money to get by. And this is really thinking in, in other terms is financial security. You should have the capacity to to absorb life life changes, like have a safety net. Prevent the shock of a major life event from turning into a longer lasting setback. One way to describe this is a, a feeling secure for the future. And being on track to meet your goals is really important. So first you have to set those goals. So setting financial goals for the future and working toward these goals will help you achieve that financial freedom for that financial wellness or well-being. And having financial freedom allows you to make the choices that support your enjoyment in life. Like I said before, whatever that means to you, it could be working less, spending more time with family, traveling, and financial flexibility, flexibility actually allows you to do what you want, which you value and really makes you happy and your family if you have a family that you want to involve. Things to do to support financial wellness are recognizing that your net worth doesn't define your self-worth. That's a first and very important. And money and finances should be part of your life, but they shouldn't play that, that critical role in making you feel how you feel. So it should make you feel less than if you don't have enough money or you're struggling with finances. Finances may affect the choices you can make in life, but it doesn't define the value, your value to your family, your value to society. Except that you are not perfect and many of your beliefs about finances, like money, may stem from the past experience that you had little control over. Take the pressure off yourself and start making financial goals and plan to achieve them. Know the numbers, your numbers, and really knowing what you owe, what you know, what debt you have, how much money you have, how much money you have coming in, whatever you're planning is really helping you feel in control of your finances. Consider if you're struggling to have a comprehensive financial capability program, uh, talk with someone about that, particularly for those in low and moderate income areas. The ones that you should consider will pay close attention to your to, to you and your income, your expenses, your savings, retirement goals, your debt, and who you are as a person. I have a son who works in, in worth debt management, and they come from a holistic approach. You really need to, not someone that's shoving you into where you don't feel you belong. So trying to, what, what's not right for you, you don't want to talk to someone like that. So finding the right person, the right company, if that's appropriate for you. Keeping track of your finances and developing a budget can make you feel more in control. And making informed choices about your finances can make you feel secure. Setting those priorities and thinking what matters most to you and thinking how you can align your current financial situation and money decisions with those priorities in mind. Ranking your goals by priority. So what is most important? What's first? What's second? How do you think about where you wanna be? And really financial wellness is being able to view money in a broader context and really depersonalizing it. Discuss your financial situation and goals with someone you trust. 
This may include your family, a friend, talking to someone may help you with this. And don't be ashamed if you're if you're having struggles and finding help is so important. Cultivate a financial intimacy with your partner or spouse. And intimate financial intimacy is that being able to be with your partner and yourself, talk about your feelings, be open and honest, don't be ashamed. And really today, particularly in today's world, we're many, many people are struggling as they, they face many financial challenges. Be open and honest and work together to establish your financial goals. In summary, I would suggest creating a budget, start saving to contribute to that, limit your credit cards, know what you owe, talk to a financial consultant, and most important, most, very most importantly, is be kind to yourself. The, many, many people, whether you have a, a wealth of money or you have little money, struggle with financial wellness. So thank you. No, thank you. That was an outstanding definition. And those are some good strategies. Um, you did touch on it, but it is, I do want to, it's important to reiterate, you know, that your financial worth is not tied to your self-worth. So that's a, that's a great, great point to make. So we've all heard that saying, you know, money makes the world go around. And I think at one point or another, we've all felt the effects of this quote. So how do you feel that the financial dimension impacts the other dimensions, such as emotional, environmental, occupational, et cetera? Well, once again, as you just said, don't define your worthiness by how much money you have, because it can actually be interpersonally destructive and really harmful to your emotional well-being. The highest level, uh, a per, the, when people are at a higher level, focus on money and think about money all the time. They really in acquiring these things that convey money. So buying things that make me, you know, I look like I'm wealthy and I have this car or I have to have these objects can actually have really have less emotional wellness. It, in, in other words, focus on those things that are important in your life. For example, your family, your friend, your health, those can support emotional wellness. Put these first before money. Focus on living in a way that brings you happiness and feels in line with your values, in fact, in what matters most to you, building a healthy sense of self-worth, thinking positively about yourself, having self-love and still and having that self-compassion as you get more comfortable with your financial situation can also promote emotional health. Stress, we've talked about it before, the culprit of all most disease. It's not, you know, we can talk about heart disease if you're having stress, your immune system's compromised. Many of these things that lead to poor health and stress. But if you're feeling this with stress, if you're feeling these um, financial challenges, you can have stress and finding a way to deal with that stress and not putting thinking positively and positively about yourself can actually help you to achieve that emotional well-being. So you want don't want to think just about how much money you're going to spend or how much money you're going to make, but thinking about how having that financial wellness can help bring that emotional wellness as well. Focusing on uh, financial wellness and doing the strategies that I talked about before can really support environmental wellness. For example, being able to afford food, healthy food, quality housing, influencing climate change that we talked about in, in the environmental wellness podcast. All the dimensions of wellness are linked. So not achieving one can affect those other dimensions of wellness. Many, many people identify the value of life by their occupational ability to work, our ability to work. And when we are no longer able to do that, it can lead to emotional issues, stress, 
is a big factor that can lead to that. Not only is there stress, but it also can affect our self-worth because if our purpose in life was to work and get this money and take care of our family or take care of ourselves, and now we're not able to do that or we didn't plan for the future, it can cause you stress and can affect you. So occupational health is very linked to environmental and to emotional health, wellness. It's really, that's why it's so important to plan for the future However, I realize there are many people, especially those facing health disparities, that live barely can make it living paycheck to paycheck and are not able to save that money for unexpected life events. And if this is the case, it's important to, assist, to get assistance, to realize not be ashamed, but get some help with it. And many, we, you know, I see many people who are homeless, who just don't have the financial wellness. They don't have the ability to pay for a place. I just saw a young person who said, I just really have a goal to get my own place. And that may be very challenging. So how do we address these? This particular person can come to a free clinic where we provide those ability to social skills, applying for jobs, helping them develop a budget. So there's availability, there's, there's resources available. And we're gonna talk about that later. But you really want to think if you're depressed about it or feeling anxious about it, seek mental health provider, find someone you can talk to, find someone who can help you. Remember, there are many people facing financial hardships. So don't let it devalue you if it's a human being and, and realize that you're not alone. And it's really important to support all these dimensions of wellness, as we talked about in previous podcasts. Yeah, no, that's great. I think it's it's really fascinating, the interplay between all the dimensions and how one will have an impact on the other. Um, so no, that was, that was great insights you just provided there. So to tie in some of the nephrology aspect, so what are some of the consequences of financial stress, um, especially for those individuals that are suffering from chronic kidney disease, as well as um, for their caregivers, your care partners that you've seen in your experience? Yeah, they definitely have many. They're, the National Kidney Foundation on their website reports about 50% of people with kidney disease will face financial hardships that may create challenges when trying to access quality health care. Some may need to take time off from work, so they struggle. Some may struggle to pay for their medications or not even know how to apply or maintain health insurance. Those with end-stage kidney disease experiences hard, can experience hardships due to treatment costs and income loss related to decreased productivity. So I've had patients in the past who are very distressed because they can't work and they need and they feel like they need to work to support their family. And despite the availability of re reimbursement and financial support in some setting, individuals, especially those receiving dialysis for a long period of time, are prone to the negative impacts of financial hardship. People with end-stage kidney disease, um, really with financial hardship, may experience symptom burden. Higher symptom burden is associated with unemployment, the inability to work, and also having some of these symptoms that, they, that may be affected are pain, fatigue, et cetera. Depression and anxiety are common in those with advanced CKD and end-stage kidney disease, but having financial burden can make depression more worse Evidence shows that there's a link between employment and depression and financial hardship can cause depression and is associated with worsening of depression. Lower income and financial hardship can really affect your sleep quality. People can sit 
up at night thinking about, okay, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to manage this? How, am, you know, all these thoughts go through their head. They may fall asleep, but they can't maintain sleep. And we know poor sleep quality is linked to high, high blood pressure, linked to cardiovascular health. And so it's so important, you know, to, to address this financial hardship because of the fact of what it can affect their life. Not only it can affect their there are symptoms such as I said, fatigue and pain, but also sexual dysfunction, which may also affect their relationship with someone they love. The kidney community should really implement financial assessments as a regular part of our assessments. I know our social workers do it in the beginning when a patient comes in for their initial and then the dialysis center or transplant, but what about those that aren't on, on dialysis yet? Um, and really work with, uh, develop those interprofessional strategies that support financial wellness. I know our social workers do a great job, but they shouldn't have that sole responsibility. We really need to work together. I had a gentleman that I saw one time that lived in the Everglades. He worked for the Miccosukee Indian tribe and he came into, he was a big guy, big burly that you would expect to see what he looked like with somebody that could be in the Everglades. And he came into the office, had advanced CKD, needed to start dialysis, and he was in tears. He said, I don't have a way to do in-center hemodialysis. I, there's no way I can do this. I have children to support. I have a wife to support. How am I going to do this? I have to work. And, I, and he didn't realize that we had peritoneal dialysis. So I talked about it to him, and that was an option for him to be able to maintain his work, be able to support his family, and be successful in his dialysis. So months later, I saw him at the clinic again, and he was so happy. He said, thank you so much for that, because now I can work. I can do this. So we got to think sometimes what can help this person continue to have that financial security, that wellness that they really want to have. And we look at young people supporting the family. How about older people in retirement and, and their plans for travel that they don't have, they can't do now because they don't have the financial security. We must really all work together to assist our patients and, and thinking of how we can promote healthy behaviors and, and, and support them as they try to implement the treatment recommendations into their daily life. We also maybe helping them find a financial planner or helping them make arrangements for assistance. Talking about, you know, just talking to them. We sometimes have to think outside the box. I had a patient one time in the dialysis center and she was an older woman and had multiple health problems. And her husband was the caregiver, her care partner, and she was in in-center hemodialysis. And he, he was always there for her, but he ended up going to the hospital to have a procedure. And she was, so I came in the center at the end of the treatment and she was sitting and had had amputation of her fingers, still had, had needed his assistance. He was her care provider. And she was sitting there and I said, if your husband's in the hospital, what are you doing? Who's caring for you? And she said, well, the neighbor sometimes comes and puts me in the wheelchair and then she might come back. I mean, puts me in a chair and she might come back and, and help me get back to bed. But sometimes I spend the night there. No one thought about how is she managing? What are the financial issues that she's managing? She, does she have the money for a home health care? Can she get home health care? Can we think about what her husband, so the burden of having an older person caring for them and then having financial issues? They didn't have the finances to hire somebody. So we need to think about how we 
can help them. So I get the social worker involved to get home health, which would be paid for by her, you know, figuring out how it could be paid because they didn't have the money to have someone come in the home and take care of her. So we've got to sometimes think, we see these patients, let's make sure that they, is there a change that they may need some support financially. Financial status is considered an important determinant of health. Low resource communities with individuals with kidney disease face many health disparities. Further supporting that need for financial assessment and interventions. So we've talked about this in food insecurity. If you don't have the money to buy healthy foods, how are you gonna pay, what are you going to eat? And if we go to these food banks, and they don't have foods as for some food for someone that has kidney disease. What are they going to eat? High sodium. It's not going to be congruent with what the recommendations are for their diet, for their nutrition. How do we? If they live in a housing that we've talked about before, environmental housing is not safe. How do we think? Of, we have to really think of the whole picture with our patients and what they're experiencing. And also, as you talked about earlier, is that care partner, care. Caring for a person with end-stage kidney disease can be very stressful and, and neg can negatively impact the physical and psychological health of the care partner. Financial hardship increases the burden of caregiving. So there are people that live in rural communities that may take a long time to get to their provider. In the Glades, it's 45 minutes one way, 45 minutes back, plus waiting for the bus to take them, plus sitting in the office. So that may be a half day and seeing their provider may be a half day of their time. If they work, how are they going to do that? In that community, in the Glades community, which is Palm Beach County, we have people who are migrant workers. We have people who are farm workers, sugarcane workers. They aren't going to take that time to leave what their work when they're making minimum wage to go travel that far. So we've got to think about these things as we ask people, can we bring it to the community? Can we bring a mobile van? Can we can we connect with our community resources to provide this health care so they won't they will leave for that maybe lunch hour to get their health care instead of spending a half a day when they're losing money. I remember one time I did a uh, keep program for the National Kidney Foundation. And we had all these resources for this woman who came in, had high blood pressure, her sugars were high, she hadn't had health care. And we said, well, we need you to, you know, we recommend and we gave great resources. She said, I take care of my husband who has many health problems. I she worked full time in the in the fields. She was a farm worker and she worked there and she said I can't take the day off. I just can't. So we've got to think even though we may have these resources, can they get to them? Are they available? So it's so important to think and maybe we need to start thinking about having our caregiver or care partners part of our assessment when they come, and particularly those in the dialysis center, or even those that are receiving care for their significant other, the person they're caring for as receiving care in a CKD clinic. We right now at our clinic, because it's also an issue for people with Alzheimer's disease. So in my, um, not my clinic, but at FAU and our college of nursing, we're actually have implemented a research project to look at primary care for caregivers of people with dementia, because they also don't often, often the care partner may be so wrapped up in caring for the person they love or they're, they're providing the care for that they don't take care of themselves. And we've got to recognize that because it's so important because many studies show when someone dies that is receiving the care, the care partner, the caregiver dies not long after from health problems or has multiple health problems. So we need to think as a whole, that family, that care partner and the person and not just look at that dialysis treatment, they're getting it and then they go home. What happened? 
tampons because that's going to affect their health and their well-being. And, and definitely look at financial because financial is a huge part of being able to do the things that we're recommending. Yeah, those are some some great um, experiences that you shared. And I think it's important how you talked about the collaboration and really trying to, you know, the collaboration between all the healthcare providers and individualizing that patient approach because, you know, everyone's going to have a different financial situation. So those were some very, very important experiences that you shared. So thank you. And so we touched upon it a little earlier, but in terms of resources, are there any that you've come across in your experience that you'd recommend for any of the individuals trying to improve their financial wellness? There are many resources for people with kidney disease, the American Kidney Fund, the National Kidney Foundation has a list of resources for individuals with kidney disease. There are local government agencies and insurance resources. There's actually a site where you can get a free prescription discount card. And if you, you have the ability to meet with a social worker, they're a great wealth of knowledge. But what about those people that have CKD and are not in an environment where they see a social worker? There are many resources for you. And you can look at the U.S. Department of Labor, healthcare.gov, medicare.gov, Indian Health Services. The VA has a U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. There's also the United Way. There's um, one other site for health, state health insurance programs. So you can find out about them. It's SHIP, S-I-P. HELP.org, SHIP Health, NeedyMeds.org. So that's for medicine assistance. So these are resources that you can recommend to your patients. We really should have these conversations. When we prescribe a medication, can that person afford to get that medication? Or do they have access to getting that medication? Do they have transportation to get that medicine? So they may get it in the dialysis center, but what about in the clinic? I remember years ago, we had a gentleman that used to come and he was at lower socioeconomic status, definitely experienced health disparities. And the nephrologist was really, really great at talking to him about, you know, what the treatment was involving him in the care and, and giving him information to take home and read. And one day after about a year of seeing this gentleman, that he came in and he said, you know, he said to the doctor, I can't read. You give me all this, I can't read. So that's one thing is literacy. But the other was, he said, I have a big car. He said, it eats a lot of gas. He said, I can't afford to buy gas to come here all the time. Can you make my appointments? with the other, because this was at Cleveland Clinic, can you make my appointments with the other doctors at the same time? Because I can only come once. So we got to think about that transportation. Even if they have a car, do they have the money to buy gas, have gas? So we, you know, purchase the gas. So we need to think about, well, can we have their appointments together? How far are they going? Do they have the ability to drive to that point? So we really put that, use the resources that are available. There's administration on aging for older people. If you're having struggles with an older adult can't, doesn't have the financial ability. One sad thing to think about in older adults is abuse and the most common type of abuse is extortion. So think about, I just saw a woman the other day and her son is trying to take money from her, her little bit of social security. So we got to think about that as well as we look at these. So there are resources for that for older people. As I said, the administration on aging, there are other local free clinics. So know your clinics in your, in your community. I go to several of them right now to support, to give care 
here. So I work at one where there's young adults that are homeless. I work with one that there are women from domestic violence. And so trying to find your local agencies, if you don't know as a provider, contact someone, a social worker, even if a CKD clinic, I would assume that the social workers in a dialysis center, if you called somebody, one of them would say, these are some resources you might use. I Because they are not, they're supporting the end stage kidney disease population, but I'm sure that they still, many of them would provide that information to a provider, a physician, nurse practitioner, P, uh, um, PA, to be able to say, hey, you know, this is some resources for you. I think we just have to reach out and, and really go beyond our own little area and think outside the box of how we can help these people and, and have a lens that's pretty broad and not just narrow to the CKD, but what else is happening when we ask, when we discuss treatment options with patients and their families, what can they do? And that's a really important thing to think about as we try to improve the health of our population. Yeah, I think those are some some great resources that you shared, and I'm sure our audience will be able to implement them in their daily lives. So with that, so those are great insights, and thank you, Dr. Hain, for giving us your time and speaking on this important topic. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. We hope you had some fun and learned something new during our sixth episode of this series. These podcasts are also available on Apple, Google, and Spotify, so be sure to like and subscribe to the Nephew podcast channel on whichever platform you use. And with that, thank you all again, and we look forward to seeing you on the next edition of our Dimensions of Wellness podcast.